Well, good morning, High Point. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you for joining us this morning, whether you're in person or whether you're online. I can see you through the camera at home. We're glad you're here. Today, we are in our third week of our Christmas series titled The Gift. And of course, the gift I am referring to is Jesus. And through this series, we are focusing on why he came on that first Christmas. And it was to fulfill your and my greatest need. The reason Jesus came was because we were desperately in need of a savior. And if you haven't experienced him yet this morning, my prayer is that you will because there truly has never been a greater gift that has ever been given, amen? Amen. Well, this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter two. By the time you find it, I'll probably have read the verse. But anyway, what we're going to read is by far the most important event ever, and it's accompanied by the most important song ever, and it contains the most important announcement ever. And, and, I'd, and I'd really like for you to, to think with me about this very, very familiar one-sentence hymn that is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where the English Standard Version says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Another translation says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. In the middle of this Christmas season, with all of our commitments, while racing around like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to get everything done, I wonder how many people have any clue whatsoever what these words mean. And to be honest with you, I wonder sometimes if even we do, those who believe in Christ. It's a scripture that we've all heard, we've all read time and time again at Christmas time. But you know, there's this chilling thing called familiarity. And it often puts our brains and our hearts into some sort of a a mental, spiritual coma. We quit thinking, we quit hearing, we quit questioning, we quit considering. So I am persuaded that the expansive and very deep words of this little hymn are often misunderstood. Yes, this is a hymn of the celebration of Christ's birth, the Messiah that was promised. But these words also, in a very clear way, define your and my need. And in defining our need, they also define the mission of that baby in the manger. So if it defines our need, and if it defines uh, his mission, then please hear what I'm about to say. These words not only announce a birth, they predict a death. These words really do capture our need, and they are found in two principal words in that little hymn, glory and peace. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the first word in that scripture we must focus on is glory. In week one, I told you that we humans are hardwired to love. In week two, last week, I told you that we are engineered for hope. Well, I don't know that if you have noticed this about yourself or not, but we human beings, you and I, are glory 
focused. We are glory attentive, we are glory seeking, and we're a bit glory obsessed. Everything we do in life, everything we say, every choice we make, every reaction in a relationship is done in pursuit of some kind of glory. And you may say, well, Pastor David, I don't understand at all what you mean. Well, let's take a biblical tour. You were created to live with the glory of God in view. You were created so that the principal motivation in your life would be that God would be praised and that God would be pleased. You were created to live in the most practical sense of what a Godward existence and upward focused existence means. So much so that you could argue that God would be the reason that you do all the things that you do. Now we know that creation was designed to remind us and to point us to the glory of God. And that everything that was created is meant to point a finger that points to the person and the character and the plan of God. So that we would be reminded again and again, everywhere that we look, that God is and that God must be the center of our very existence. Whether it's in the majestic mountains that surround us or the beautiful song of a, of a bird or the shocking bright colors of, of the fall or even a scary storm, whether it be the touch of another human being's hand or the, the tone of their voice, the brightness of the morning or the stars that shine up the skies in the darkness of night. All of those things, all of those glories are shadow glories. They are meant to reflect on the one glory that is truly glorious, the glory of God. That's the way it was meant to be, ladies and gentlemen. But in a sad moment of disobedience and rebellion, Adam and Eve chose to live for the glory of creation rather than the glory of God. They desired something in creation more than they desired the creator. And ever since that horrible moment, in all of our hearts, there has been glory confusion going on. There is a glory battle that happens. And this can even be said of those who are in a redeemed relationship with Jesus Christ, because we don't always live for the glory of God. There are other glories that compete in our heart for this one glory. Very often we forget God's glory and we begin to live for other glories. In fact, you could argue that, that every sin at its very root is an exchange of God's glory for some glory in creation. Take lust as an example. Lust would exchange the glory of God for the glory of a momentary sexual pleasure. Materialism, it replaces the glory of God with the possession of, of physical things, tangible things. Pride chooses to live more for self-glory than for the glory of God. There is an, always an exchange of God's glory for some other glory found in creation. So we're all glory confused. We're all in some way 
glory thieves, if you will. And if you reflect on this past week, you probably wouldn't be able to say in every possible way, I live with the glory of God in view this week. You see, there are times when other shadow glories become more precious to us and you convince yourself that you can't live without them. You convince yourself that that your life is more dictated by the worship of what was created than the worship of the creator. And listen, this never leads to a heart that is at rest. It never leads to inner peace. It never leads to satisfaction because those shadow glories cannot fulfill your heart because they weren't designed to do that. You cannot turn the created world into your own personal Messiah. It will never work. So we have a glory problem, folks. All of us are still yet in the midst of a glory battle. We all have moments of glory confusion. We all have times when we want creation more than we want the creator. It's a part of our human condition. But our scripture reference this morning says, glory to God in the highest. Imagine what this world would be like if every person lived that way. Imagine what it would be like to live in a world where the heart of every human being was ruled by the glory of God. See, we're not talking here first about a spiritual thing or about a religious thing. This is the way that God designed human beings to live. All human beings were called, were chosen, were created to live for the glory of God. That was the creation plan. But then in a moment of self-glory, in a moment of rebellion, all that was shattered. And as a result, all of us now live in the middle of a glory battle. We live with glory confusion. Well, the second word in that scripture that, that is another reason, another thing that we were uh, created to possess is peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You and I were created for peace with God. We were created so that the most important thing in our lives would be a relationship with God. We were created to have the high honor of being a wonderful, obedient friend of God. And that friendship with God would be the most meaningful reality of your and my life. And that peace with God would allow us to have peace within. Not peace because we're strong, not peace because we are wise, not peace because we know what is happening next, but peace because we have this relationship with the one who rules all and who guides us by his hand. And so because of our relationship with God, even though we don't know all that we need to know, even though we can't predict what the next day holds, we still have peace in our hearts and therefore we can rest. So follow me now. 
When that peace, that shalom with God is shattered, the result is that our hearts are not at rest. There's a, there's a, her, a, a terrible moment in the garden when God comes down in the cool of the day with the intention of communing with Adam and Eve. These were friends of God. And he would walk with them and talk with them and commune with them. It was such a a beautiful existence. But on this particular moment of this particular day, Adam and Eve weren't running to meet him. They weren't excited to see him because they were hiding in guilt and in fear because they had been disobedient and that peace with God had been shattered. I love that Old Testament word, shalom, because it pictures something more fundamental than just an absence of conflict. It pictures that all things are in their proper order and that all things are working the way that they were designed to work. Peace with God means that I have peace inside, but we don't always have that. All of us have experienced anxiety, sometimes anxiety that we cannot escape, or anger, or frustration, or discouragement, or depression, or hopelessness, and our hearts struggle to find rest. Have you had any sleepless nights recently when your mind went over that endless catalog of what ifs? You were halfway in and and out of sleep and you wished you were sovereign at that moment. Well, peace with God is peace within. But also included in that word peace is peace with others. When I don't have peace with God, then I don't have peace inside of myself and that makes it very difficult for me to have peace with other people. You see, our lives are marked by conflict. I don't think anyone in this room has lived a conflict-free 2023, have you? If you have, raise your hand. We wanna, we're, we're gonna be amazed by you. In fact, you can't even probably say that about last month or last week. And for some, not even this morning while you were getting ready to come here. I'm talking free of moments of, of, of irritation or impatience or anger. We were out shopping yesterday and I got really impatient. I wanted nothing but to get out of that store. While my wife was taking her time, I go, I don't know how you do this. I just, yes, no, let's go. But that's just the way I'm wired sometimes. It's amazing that all around us is unrest. All around us is conflict. We have a peace problem. Brokenness with God leads to brokenness within, which leads to brokenness within the community that surrounds us. This little song and this short scripture really does capture the great human dilemma. Glory thieves resulting in shalom being shattered, peace being shattered, And in defining our need, this little hymn really points us to the mission of the Messiah. And listen, you know this. Jesus didn't come first on a political mission to establish some kind of an earthly kingdom. 
And he didn't come on an educational mission just to correct our worldview. Jesus didn't come on a psychological mission just to make us feel like we were okay. In fact, Jesus didn't even come on a religious mission, meaning to make sure that you and I did all of the external, religiously appropriate things. No, Jesus' mission was much more radical than that, much more fundamental than that. And if you don't understand this, you misunderstand his mission. If I have a glory problem, if, and if I have a peace problem, then what I have is a heart problem. My problem isn't so much my relationships. My problem isn't so much my situation. My problem is that something is broken in my heart. And David gets this right when he writes in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God. That's what we need. We need a radical, personal, long-term heart change because that is our problem. The prophecies of the coming Christ are very clear that he is coming to address this problem. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take care, I will, excuse me, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's his work. That's the Lord's work. He takes this stony heart inside of me that is resistant to change and it becomes a heart made alive by God's work and is now able to change. And so now people who once lived for their own glory would now by his grace live for his glory. And not just in religious matters, but in everyday events and in everyday activities in their daily lives, in their words, in their thoughts, in their actions, in their relationships, in their desires, they would live now to glorify God. And now where the rubber meets the road in everyday life, something motivates me that would be bigger than what I want and what I desire, bigger than what I think I need and bigger than the pleasure of the moment. It's that I would really have a heart that had been captivated by the glory of God. That is the mission of Jesus. That I would be brought, not by anything that I was capable of doing, but by God's grace brought into peace with God. Listen, it is not okay that there are masses of human beings who do not live at peace with God. It's not okay that that people walk the streets of this city and they live apart from peace with God. It's not okay that large numbers of people in the United States of America couldn't care less about peace with God. And it's not okay that in the nations all around the world there are millions upon millions of people who with no knowledge of what it means to have peace with God. That's not okay, because at the epicenter of our, of our human existence, we were designed to be in a relationship with God. And as you walk the streets, 
And as you realize, most people don't understand this. It ought to break your heart. It ought to make you weep. We must never become comfortable with this, High Point. Never. Because if we're okay, if, if, if it were okay for us to live in a broken relationship with God, Jesus would have never come. And I am passionate about this because this is important to, to the, the, the uh, eternity of people who are lost. What a tragedy that my whole life would be lived for teeny little glories that never satisfy me. What a tragedy that, that I wouldn't care about peace with God, my creator. Those things are not okay. So Jesus came because my only hope was his grace. Listen, I cannot escape my heart and you can't escape yours either. I can certainly move to another location. I can get out of a relationship, but there's one thing I cannot escape. And that's the condition of my heart. Like I said last week, the problem is me. And so a Lord and a Savior must come. And when you hear that word Savior, please understand what it is that you are hearing. You don't need a Savior unless you are unable to help yourself. Savior tells you you need to be rescued. These words really do define our need. They really do define Christ's mission. But there's one other thing they do. They define for us the price of his mission. It's really captured in that final phrase in verse 14. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Maybe better translated is peace on those whom his favor is placed, or maybe even better than that, peace on those to whom his grace is given. You see, the only hope of peace is grace. While the vehicle of that grace is a death. Because that stolen glory and that shattered peace, it left every one of us guilty. And rather than living for God, we have sought to be our own God. Rather than honoring the creator, we have regularly worshiped the creation. And the sentence of that guilt is death. You'll never understand that baby in the manger unless you know that that baby came to be a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. Here's the plan. Jesus would come. And from day one, all of his thoughts, all of his desires, all of his actions, reactions, all of his responses would be fully and completely and perfectly lived for the glory of God. And he on our behalf would live for our glory. He would live a life that we were incapable of living. And on that cross, he would bear our penalty. He would face the rejection of the Father so that we could know his acceptance 
and receive peace from him. An upward peace, that vertical thing we've talked about for the last two weeks that would create inside of us an inward peace that would give us the ability to have an outward peace with others. That was the plan. He came willingly. Jesus did. He came knowing what the price would be. He knew that he would die so that you and I could live. That human beings who live for their own glory and human beings who don't care about peace with God could be raised out of that entire mess. And they could become a a company of people who, who growingly are captivated by the glory of God and who love the fact that they have peace with God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those with whom he is pleased. Well, as I've been talking this morning, maybe you've been thinking and looking deep within yourself. And if so, I would ask you to reflect on the last couple of weeks. Because if you do, I believe that you will recognize that you and I still have a glory problem. This message that I am speaking today that some of you think is solely for those who are not in a relationship with Jesus yet, well, you're totally wrong. Don't ever think that way. Don't ever go, he's talking about this, he's talking to them. Because I'm talking to you, and all through the week I'm talking to me. We don't always get glory right, folks. You can serve the Lord for 80 years and you don't always get glory right. Also, we need to recognize that we have a peace problem. We don't always care about peace with God. We don't always have peace within. And we surely don't always experience peace with one another. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. A lot of this going on, isn't there? Even with your spouse, even with your children, even with your family, even those you love, your boss, complete and total strangers, you idiot, you. When they take your parking spot or whatever it is. People are ugly out there. You drive like madmen, the Indy 500 through a parking lot, you can't even back out. And that rises up something inside of you, doesn't it? So the work of grace is needed as much for us today as it ever has been. And so those angels, they sang in that short song, in that song they announced your hope. The angels in that verse announced your redemption. Those angels announced to you grace, a grace of a life lived, the grace of a death that's been offered so that you might live for his glory and that you might experience in in all the ways possible his peace, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. I'd like to ask Scott and the worship team to come forward. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew what his mission was. He understood 
why he came, and he was fully aware of the price that he would ultimately pay. And yet he came anyway. What a love. What a sacrifice. What a gift. And so we celebrate Christ at Christmas, not just for his arrival, but for what he came to accomplish. To save us from sin, and yes, to save us from ourselves. And only he could do it. Only one with no sin could accomplish victory over death and the grave. But even more importantly, is that only he could offer us the same victory. This morning, we are going to join together in Holy Communion. And how appropriate, since we've been talking about the reason that Christ came. As referred to earlier, as ugly and as sad as this truth is, Christ came to die, but he didn't stay dead. Because three days later, he arose with resurrection power. And by defeating death and the grave, we can now live in the presence of God when our time on this earth is done. Either when we pass away or when Jesus comes to take us home. And Jesus made very clear to us that this was something that we should never forget, something that we should always remember. And that's what we do whenever we take communion. So I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward and they will serve your, your communion and we will get right back with you. Before we take communion together, it's important for me to share with you what the Bible says about not participating in this very sacred time in an unworthy manner. It's found in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. And it says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That scripture tells us that we must all examine ourselves to make sure we do not participate in this sacred moment in an unworthy way. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Are you harboring unforgiveness towards another individual? Is anger driving most of your emotions and ultimately your actions? Are you living uh, in a way where you are disobedient daily to God's written word as a normal and everyday activity? If so, it is essential that we all clear this up and leave it at the foot of the cross today, lest you drink judgment to yourself and by doing this in an unworthy manner. So we're gonna have a moment, as we always do here, of silent prayer in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let me just say, if you are here today and you have never received the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers, you can do so right at this moment. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So simply pray and tell Jesus that, that you believe in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to become the Lord of your life, your, your closest and best friend, and, and he will. The Bible says that if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you 
and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then you too can participate in this time of communion by doing so in a worthy way. So during this time of silent prayer, I would like everyone to take a moment to be transparent before God. All you're gonna hear is this music playing softly behind me. Lay your burdens, confess your sin, or anything that is between you and God, lay it out there at the cross and reconcile all that with him this morning. Let's bow our heads and have a time of, of silent prayer and meditation before God. Father, you've heard our words. Most importantly, you've read our hearts. You know all these things before we even ask or confess. And so we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that it can transform our lives and that we can live our lives in order to glorify you. Thank you for that gift, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Now I ask you to bless these communion emblems we are about to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 26, you will also read an account of Jesus having his last supper with his disciples at Passover. Verse 26 says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. As you eat of this bread this morning, I want you to be, I want you to be reminded of what Christ did for you. I want you to be reminded of his bruised and battered body and that by his stripes, you are healed. According to the scriptures, you may eat the bread. In verse 27, it says, then he took a, the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. As you drink this juice this morning, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out and shed to atone for your and my sin. You may drink of the juice. Now would you stand as we sing together, please? Before I pray, I just wanted to remind you that next Sunday, of course, is Christmas Eve. We will have our 10 a.m. worship service as usual. And then we're going to have a candlelight and communion service on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. Uh, that's my favorite service of the year. It is just really incredible to see this place filled up with people and candles lit all over. If you haven't been in the habit of coming, you should. It's a blessing and we'd love to have you here. But I just wanted to remind you of that. We'll either see you Sunday morning, we'll either see you Sunday night, or we'll see you both Sunday morning and Sunday night. I guess that's up to you, not up to me. So uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for Jesus. We realize that we cannot rescue ourselves, that we can only be rescued by the grace of the cross. We thank you that the, the angels announced your birth and that you came to fulfill our greatest need and that was to save us, Father, to redeem us and we thank you for that. Let us be reminded of that through this Christmas season, that this just isn't a time where we celebrate family and gifts, but we celebrate what you've done for us. 
and we are a thankful people. And Father, I pray that as we go our separate ways today, that your spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, and the conversations that we have. Let those conversations be ones that build people up and not tear them down. I pray that we would shine like bright lights in a very dark world who desperately needs you. The love of Christ would shine through us, so much so that people would come up and ask what it is about us that's different. And you open that door for us to share your goodness with them. I pray, Father, that through this holiday season, you would give us opportunities to tell of your goodness, to, to tell people what you've done in our lives that has made the difference and why they need you as well. So use us, I pray, Father, individually and collectively as a church. I pray that you'll be with us this week as we deliver the gifts to the, the students at Salisbury School. Pray that you will be with the offering that is being sent to Israel to help those who are in need over there during that, that dreadful war. And Father, we are reminded to continue to pray for peace in Israel, for our brothers and sisters there. And Father, just ask that uh, as we go our separate ways today, we would go in your peace, because peace only comes from you, and that we would go in love, and we would love people in a way that even we can't realize how we can do it, but we can because your love is in us. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for Jesus. And we ask all of these things and give you all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.